and amen, church. I wonder, have you ever been in a, a situation where you were put on the spot? Like someone maybe asked you a question and you were like, well, you weren't prepared. Like, let me, let me personalize it. Maybe you were in school. I, I've had numerous times where this has happened, from grade school all the way to college, where you didn't do the work. You didn't do the homework. You didn't read the chapter. And, and you're thinking to yourself, you get to school and you're like, and the teachers start to call on people, you know? It's the worst feeling in the world. Like, you shrink back in your chair and you're, you get real religious to Jesus. You're like, Jesus, please don't let the teacher call on me. But you know inevitably what's going to happen, right? Teacher's going to call on you. you. It happens every time. And I've been, I've been in that situation. I'll tell you that... I went to Catholic grade school growing up. I can remember an incident in every grade, first grade, second grade, third grade. I can remember at least one thing that happened. First, I'll go back to first grade. My teacher was Mrs. Hopped, was her name. And I'll never forget, I, first of all, I'm a very directionally challenged person. I, if you've ridden in a car with me, well, we've probably gotten lost together, that means, okay? That's what that means. We, it is a struggle. So I, uh, first grade, it, it, uh, it wasn't any better. So didn't know my directions at all. North, south, east, west. And the teacher puts me on the spot. First, I'll never forget it. She said, Monty, will you stand up and face north? And I'm like, <laughs> I have like a 25%. I have no, I don't even know what state I'm in, let alone which way north is. Like, so I remember, and things kind of go in slow motion. You know, I get, all, I get all tense. And I'm sitting there as a little first grader. And I'm like, slow motion. I, I just stand up. And, it's, and all the kids are staring at me like I'm going to get it right. I'm not. So I'm standing up, and I'm getting ready to, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to turn to the right. What the heck? And, I, and I, it's slow motion again. And I start to turn to the right, and teacher says, good job. And I'm like, what? So I, I was already facing north, so I'm just getting ready to blow it. She's like, good job, Monty, you're facing north. I'm like, that's when I knew God was real. I'm like, who knew? So I was already facing north. So anyway, so I, I want you to be prepared for something today. Casey said it. We're in a series called Hope of the World. Say hope. Hope. I don't know if you walked in there with hope or if you didn't, but I'm telling you, you're about to get a dose of it. And if you let it, it's going to change your life. But I want you to know something. Part of your hope, part of your purpose is going to be to share with others when you're put on the spot. And what I, what I mean by that is, for those of you that have some hope in you, someone might see it in you, at least they should. And they might wonder, hey, where do you get your hope from? Why are you the way you are? And are you prepared? Are we prepared to share it with them? Like, what do we say? What do we say to somebody when we're put on the spot? Like, why, why do you go to church? Like, why do you, why do you get in the Word? What, what, are you, what are you doing on a Sunday morning? What do we say? So, if Peter, one of Jesus' best friends and disciples... I love a scripture. He wrote a book, wrote a couple of them, but one of them, 1 Peter. Let me start off with the scripture so you can kind of get a context of what he says. So Peter is writing this book to, to early Christians, but to you and I. And he says this in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. I'll read, I'll read two verses right away. Verse 15 and 16. Peter writes, Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone, say someone, if someone, if anyone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready. Like, are we ready? Like, are you ready to say what, what, why, you, why you have hope? That's what he says. Be ready to explain it. Do, he says, do it. Then he gives us a hint. Do it gently and respectfully. Makes sense. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, and they will, trust me, they will, then you, then they, excuse me, will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live 
because you belong to Jesus. So I get it. If you're a follower of Jesus, we know the standard Christian answer. Our hope is in Jesus. We get our hope from him. But I, I just want to pull back on that a little bit. I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. But there are people here today in all walks of life. There are people here today, you're questioning God, you're questioning Jesus. Some of you don't believe at all. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Some of you, you believe and you say, yep, my hope is in Christ. But if you were put on the spot by a friend or a peer or somebody you're out drinking with, because sometimes Christians drink and do some crazy things. And what are you going to say to them when they, when they get half, you know what, and ask you, what are you doing tomorrow? Going to church? What are you going to say? So I want to equip you to live your purpose. That's, uh, I, my dream is to help you live out your dream. That's my dream. I know you want to live your purpose. I know you do. And I want to help you. Part of your purpose is going to be sharing with others. But how we do it is so critical. And, it, and it's changed. People are going to ask why. Why do you have hope? Why do you go to church? Why, you know, why, why do you invite me to church? Why, why, why? And we can't give the parents, we can't give the standard answer we give our kids. When they're like, why, why this, why that? Why are we doing? You know, because that standard answer is what? Because I said so. That's why. So get your butt in the car and let's go to church and worship Jesus, okay? In the name of the Lord. So, yeah. You know what? I used to be an incredible parent before I actually had kids. Then, then, they, then the, I, I'm telling you, I had to figure it out at one point. Um, I'm going to help you share your hope today. God's going to help you share your hope today. Because this is a big deal. It's, it's a big part of who we are. And you might think, Pastor, I don't have hope. Praise Jesus Christ, you stepped into this place today. I am telling you something. He wants to do something supernatural in your life. I believe it. Here's what I believe. Here's where I believe people get it wrong when we, when we try to share hope or we don't know how to share hope or we're too freaked out to do it. You have to understand your audience. First of all, the audience is a person, a human being created in the image of God that God loves. But the audience is changing. Did you know that? Like, I love God's word with all my heart. I do. It never changes, the Bible says. It never changes. God doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. Hebrews 13, 8. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. But do you know what does change? Culture. Society. Like crazy, it changes. It, it's in, so so this, is, this is huge. You've got to know your audience. So understand this. I, I want to get this right. A dozen years ago, so 12 years ago, 18% of Americans claim no religious affiliation. They're called the nuns. Like, they're just, they, they've heard about it. They've, not the nun that from the Catholic grade school, the other nun. So um, I'm familiar with those two. Uh, so they're, they're, they're over it. They're, they're just not there. So that was 12 years ago. Fast forward seven years to five years ago, that number went from 18 to 25. So a quarter of Americans, 25% are like, that's, I, it's, I'm not in that at all. I'm like, I'm so over that. That's what they're saying. So you could, you could argue, I don't know what the status today, but five years later, it's probably closer to 30. So the culture is shifting. And people will say sometimes, oh, we live with the society and politics and where we live, it's so, it's so non-Christian. It's becoming more and more non-Christian. That's really not a true statement. It's not non-Christian. There's a difference. Non-Christian means they've never heard the gospel. That's non-Christian. Like, I don't, I don't, I've never heard the gospel. The gospel, Jesus Christ, God's son, he died, he rose. This is the gospel. They've never heard that. They don't, they've not read the Bible. They've not been to a church. That's non-Christian. That ain't America, really. Now, are there Americans that have not heard the gospel? There are, yeah. It's not the majority, though, okay? Now, around the world, it's different. There's pockets and tribes and places that have not heard the gospel. We need to do everything we can to get there. But I'm not talking non-Christian. You know what I'm talking? Post-Christian. Big difference. 
And our audience predominantly that you're going to deal with in the context of where we live is post-Christian. Now, that, what, what does post mean? Post means after. So it's, 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 they, they, they've heard it, right? They've, they've heard of Jesus. They've heard the Bible. They might have even, even read a Bible story too, know about the baby in a manger, know about David and the giant. They know the stories. They maybe even have been to the youth camp. They just ain't wearing the T-shirt anymore, right? They're over it. Been there, done that. That's post-Christian, okay? And, and that's what we're trending in. And it will continue to trend, trust me. So I'm trying to help you understand who is the audience. It, it, it's not so much people that aren't familiar. What, Jesus? Who's, I've never heard of. No, they, they've heard of Jesus. They've probably heard of the good news. They've heard of the gospel. They've, been in, they've stepped foot in church. They just ain't there anymore. So it's, the approach is huge. Because know this. The right message, and I believe what you're going to get today is the right message. It's straight from God's word. It's, it's so hope-filled, it'll change your life if you let it. The right message with the wrong approach equals the wrong results. The right message with the wrong approach, if we don't approach people that we love in the right way, and we don't understand our audience, we don't understand where they've been and, and what they've already experienced, it's going to be the wrong end result. <laughs> I will, oh my gosh. From where I moved from, where I lived, there was a lawyer in our town, and I, I don't know him, but I do know that he had, he had a, his intent was good. The message that this guy wanted to convey was, the, oh, you're, you wait. The message he wanted to convey was this, don't drive distracted. That, I think that was what he was trying to convey. His, his point was, listen, I, don't, no distractions when you're driving. That was the message. His approach in this commercial well, it made Jimmy Fallon for a reason. So um, you see what you get out of it. Message, don't drive distracted. Approach, check this out. We've seen a series of one-car accidents recently involving rollovers and serious injuries to passengers. I don't know if it's video games or what, but it's so unfair to, after something like this, to blame people in the backseat or say they deserved it. I don't like consoling these parents about what's happened, but I'll do it until it stops. Will you please stop? I'm Scott Hoy. What? Oh, yeah. I don't, you, I don't know if the, again, I don't even, what? There's a reason it made Fallon, again. So that was not the right approach, okay? Who in the heck is his marketing team, and how did that make the, you know, fire them? Um, Turn to two people. Tell them it's all in the approach. Will you tell your neighbor? It's all in the approach. My. <laughs> when it comes to reaching people, especially in a post-Christian society, which I just set up to you, that that's where we're at. When it comes to reaching people in a post-Christian society, a different approach is needed. Do you know why? Here's why. And, and stay with me on this one. Here's why. I'm not much of a camper, okay? I don't really camp much. And it's not because I don't know what camping is. I do. I'm pretty familiar with it. I grew up in the Midwest. There's campgrounds everywhere. In the great state of Nebraska, people are selling camp. We got stores that sell camping gear. And there's equipment. And there, again, there's campgrounds. But I've never in my life really had my car turned on a driveway that leads to a campground. Unless I got lost, which we established earlier can happen, okay? But, and, and so I've, I've just never done that. And it's not because there, there's not, it's not because the campgrounds aren't clean. It's not because I can't find people to camp with. Many of you go camping, okay? And I pray for you all the time, and I, I'll continue to do that. But I don't, I don't, 
it's not because I don't get it. It's because I do get it when it comes to me. I'm not a camper. I know that about me. See, I, I don't know where I'm at. Yeah, there, Jody, thank you. My gosh, don't switch seats on me like that. I have no clue where you went there. I got worried. So, um, so Jody's dad, my father-in-law, he's, he's big into all that stuff. And a few years ago, we went uh, vacation, not too far, west side of South Dakota, Mount Rushmore, Crazy Horse, all that stuff. And uh, he, he was desperate for us to stay at this little, little camper that he had on this little piece of land. And he kept asking, will you stay in the camper? Will you stay in the camper? And I'm thinking, we want to stay at Holiday Inn. We want to stay at Holiday Inn. Because you know my idea of roughing it, going from a five-star to a four-star. That's my idea of roughing it. So I didn't want to stay in the camper. But I didn't want to, you know, he was, he was excited about it. So we did it. I'm like, fine, I'll stay there. What, like, what rock do you want me to sleep on, okay? I'll do it. So we go to the camper, and it's not bad. We're there, and, and he actually meets us there because he's on the west side of South Dakota himself or this, whatever he was doing. And he meets us there, and he's all happy that the family's at this campground and at his little camper, and, and he's giving us the kind of the, he says, all right, you guys, spend the night and leave it, you know, as good or better than you found it, you know, clean everything up, uh, empty the waste container. And I was like, what? Empty the what? And I think you could see the question mark even over my head. You could see it. He's like, I'm wasting. He's like, yeah. Well, you got to, you go into the bathroom. How are you? I'm like, well, yeah, we, we have used the restroom. Yes, guilty. Uh, he said, well, you got to empty that out. And he could tell that it was, again, just, just nothing here. I was like, no comprende. Me no understand. So he was like, okay. So he brings me over to this huge container underneath. Oh, so disgusting. So he starts to un, unscrew it or whatever. And I'm like, and it's just, I don't need to describe. You get what was in it. And he pulls it out. And he's like, grab an end. And so we, I have one end, and it's sloshing. And he has the other end. And it's, he is, like, he's, I don't know. He might still need Jesus, Jody. Because he was literally, I think, trying to do that just to kind of have fun. I'm like, this is disgusting. There's nothing fun about this. We slide it in the back of his pickup. And he knows, I'm like, this. And we have to go find some place to dump it. I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I'm in the car, I'm in the truck with him, and he's laughing. He thinks this is kind of fun, you know, his little, his little wussy grand, or a grandson. What am I? His son-in-law. Thank you. So, um, <laughs> so he's laughing at me, and he says, he says, where do you think it goes at your house? I said, <laughs> I remember thinking, you know, after, after we flush it down the toilet, I don't really care where it goes. I know where it doesn't go. It doesn't go like in a container in the back of my car and driver. I don't, I don't do that. I don't care. So, okay, I'm not a camper. You get it, right? So, so here's why I say all that. It could be the greatest campground in the world. You could have the best camper, most tricked out, pimped out, Mac Daddy of a camper, and you want, want to take me out, and I know I should, whatever, pray for me. So, you know, you could have all that, the most beautiful campground. I ain't going. I'm not going. So here's the thing. I love our church. I believe we do so much right. And I believe if we can get people to experience, just come in here and experience what God is doing, I believe their life will change. I'm so sold out to it. But, and I also want to make it better. And I, and I think you want that too. How can we love better? How can we do outreach better? How can we welcome better? But we can make it as better as we possibly can. But for some people, that won't matter. You know why? Well, they're not, they're not church people. How many, people, how many people know somebody that would say, I'm not a church person, right? You know anybody like that? Yeah. So you can tell them, oh, metal is this, it's that, it's this, it's that. They're, they've been there, they've done that, right? They, they're, they've been to church, and they've done it. And here's the thing. The only church you've known is the church you grew up in or that you know. But what can the church be? I just, I, there's a different approach that we have to take sometimes to reach people that we're not reaching. That's what we're talking about. If you brought a Bible 
or you have a mobile app with a Bible app on it, man, if you need a Bible, let us give you one. It will change your life if I can get you in there for 10 minutes a day. Acts. Go to Acts 8. So it's in the New Testament. You got, you got the first books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels. They tell the story of a man named Jesus. You're going to hear a lot about him. Okay? And then right after John, there's Acts. It's, it stands for action, like the, the disciples took action. And in Acts 8, the hope of the world, which I'll give it away if you're new today, the hope of the world that the series is titled after, it's the church. It's you. It's the first church for sure, because if anybody ever got it right, it was them. And they, and they got a lot wrong, and they still got it right. So the hope of the world, and the church is exploding right now, and God is doing great things, and opposition is coming in the name of a man named Saul. So this isn't the same Saul in the Old Testament, the first king of Israel, you know, and then David was next. It's not, this is a different Saul. This is a Pharisee, a very religious guy, a very godly man, he would say, but he had nothing to do with Christianity. He thought it was a joke. For you to believe that Jesus was dead and is alive and now you're preaching it? He, that's a lie. That is heresy. And he would do whatever it takes to stop. He needed to make a point, and he needed, he needed to eradicate what the Christians were trying to do. That's, I set the tone for verse 1 in Acts 8. Saul, listen to this. Wow. Saul was one of the witnesses to the very first murder. Someone got murdered because they believed in Jesus. This is the very first time that really ever happened, that someone got killed, called a martyr, but they got killed for their faith in Christ. It was a guy named Stephen. Listen to this. Um, he, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So Saul's kind of a bad dude, but he would think he's doing everything in the name of the Lord. A great wave of persecution began that day after Stephen was killed, sweeping over the church and all the believers, excuse me, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men even came and they buried Stephen and they were crying and they were mourning while they did it. But Saul was going everywhere to do what? destroy the church. That was his mission. I'm going to make a point. This is not going to happen here. He wanted to destroy the church. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains and put them into prison. That was his goal. Man, that's what's happening. That's Acts 8. Now, I want you to go to Acts 9. How many of you know that a lot can change in just one chapter? Some of you, you walked in here today in the chapter that you're living right now, well, you'd rather just erase it from the book completely. I'm telling you, God brought you here today because there's hope right on the other side. The next In one chapter, look what happens. In one turn of the page from Acts 8 to Acts 9, verse 1 in Acts 9, tracking, here we go. Meanwhile, Saul's still at it, uttering threats with every breath, eager to kill, say kill, he wanted to kill people that believed in Jesus, kill the Lord's followers. So he went to a high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues, these places of worship, in Damascus. Now, Damascus is like from Jerusalem. It's like 120, 30 miles. It's a long ways. There's no Uber. It's, you're walking. So it's 100 and northwest. I don't, you know, I don't know. Actually, it's northeast. I told you. I don't know my direction. So it's a long ways away. But Paul's making a point. I'll go, I'll go wherever it takes to stop this. If it's gone to Damascus, I'll go to Damascus. I don't care. This is, this is th these are lies. So he, he gets these letters. He gets cooperation. He wants to arrest any followers of the way, the way, Jesus, another name, that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. 
As he was approaching Damascus on this road trip, on this mission to kill, a light from heaven, okay, lean into this, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, he said. And the voice responded, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up, go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Do you know what hit me when I read that this week as I prepared for this message? Twice in what I just read to you, Jesus tells Saul, who's on the ground, blind, can't see, Jesus tells him, why are you persecuting me? And I think to myself, wait a minute, Jesus, are you confused? Paul wasn't persecuting you. He's going after the church. He's going after uh, the, the followers of you, but it ain't. It, it's the church he's killing. It's the church people. What does that tell you? What does that tell you when Jesus says you're persecuting me? You know what it tells me? Something that I, I, something that I failed to believe or even recognize for 15 years after I left the church. There is no separating Jesus in the church. You cannot do it. We do it. I get it. We do it all the time. I mean, when you, and, and I'm not judging. There's a lot of people that would say, I don't need the church. I don't need some organization. I'm going to follow Jesus my own way. I'm just telling you that's not God's way. Well, the church is messed up. I know. As soon as you walked in here, it was messed up. And as soon as I walked in here, it was messed up. Right? We mess it up. But it's still God's church. And you cannot disconnect them. It's impossible. We do it. Jesus says you're persecuting me. Because I am the church. He's the head of the church. The church is his bride. I could go on. He, he, it's the only thing he said he would build. I will build my church. Um, I'm, it's my bride. I'm the head of the church. Um, I died for the church. Read Ephesians 5. Jesus Christ died for the church. This is very personal. Paul is trying to kill anything that has to do with Jesus. Though Paul doesn't even think Jesus is alive until this moment when things are changing. So Paul, it's crazy. Persecuting, arresting, and killing because he needed to make a point. And Jesus, you know Jesus would have been justified in the moment as he showed up to Saul? He, Saul and Saul and Paul are the same. His name was Saul, and then his Greek name was Paul. So sometimes I'm going to say Paul, but it's the same guy. So, so Saul, Jesus could have just took him out, right? It's kind of like what your mama used to tell you, you know, growing up. I don't know if your mama said this, but you know what, son? I brought you into this world, and I'll take you. Yeah. You had the same mama, huh? So um, that's, Jesus could have said that, Saul, I brought you into this world, take you out. And it would have been done. Saul was the culprit. He was the head of it. But what's so crazy about this story is, Saul mattered to Jesus. Like, like God still had a plan for Saul. Now, was Saul messed up? Yes. Killing is wrong. Killing is bad. What he, what he was doing was far from God's plan. But God wasn't done with Saul. I, I just, it blows me away. Like, it, it, instead of judging Saul for what he'd just done or his past, what does Jesus do? Jesus actually gives him an opportunity. That's what he does. He gives him an opportunity to step into something for his future that he sees in potential. There's a past that you got, Saul, that's not good, but I see potential in you. Wow. He could have made a point with Saul. He chose to make a difference with him. This is big. This is, le oh, in fact, that just led me to the main point. Talk about making a point. If this, if this makes a point with you, it'll make a difference in your life. I'm telling you. By the way, someone walked in here, and maybe you're thinking you're like Saul, and you've made so many mistakes, and you've messed up so bad in your life. That's what brings people to the church a lot of time. Do you know that? I mean, it's what brought me to the church on my knees 
Horrible situation, horrible place in my life. It's like, gosh, I'll, maybe I'll try this avenue. Thank God I did. I'm telling you, maybe you thought God gave up on you. Maybe you thought that you don't have a purpose anymore. I'm here to tell you something. Listen to me. God is way less done with you than you are. I'm telling somebody. In fact, he's just getting started. He is just getting started in your life. What he wants to do in you. Oh, so what is our main point, Jesus? Will you give it to us? When you care about somebody, and that's, that's huge, understand that when I talk about audience or who you're talking to, you, better, you need to care about them first. That's big. Did Saul really care about the people? I don't know. Saul cared about a mission. Saul cared about his agenda. Saul cared about God. He did. He just thought that was God's will. If you're killing people, you're probably not showing a lot of care for them. When you truly care about people, your goal shouldn't be to make a point, okay? It should be to make a difference. And there's a difference. There is a difference in making a point, and I'm going to show you what it is. Listen to me. Our society, okay, why are so many people abandoning faith and leaving the church and becoming post-Christian like we talked about, like they're over it? It's after, it's after Christianity. Do you know why? Because people, well, like me sometimes, that want to make a point. That we're going we're gonna to share why I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm going to post and tell you why, why I'm doing what is good and you're doing what is bad. Okay, is that really? You, you're make, you're, I'm doing good at making a point. I just don't know if it's making a difference in their life. I will never forget, you guys, a few years ago when a woman was talking to me in my office in the church. I, I can't even tell you why she came in. I don't remember the, the overall theme of why she wanted to talk. Don't remember it. Do not remember it. All I remember is she asked me a question. She said, is there hope for a person like me? And I thought to myself, of course there is. I mean, yeah. I said, why would you ask that? She goes, I mean, someone like me, someone who's, who's had abortions. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget the S on the end. In that, you know, abortion. so she's had multiple abortions. And she, she's not looking at me. I'm looking at her. She ain't looking at me. She's looking straight down. Shame will do that. Okay? I'll, I'll never forget it. Is there hope for a person like me? I could have made a point, right? Man, let me get out scripture. What does is, what is scripture say? And I'll find all the ones that point to what I think is right. And I'll show you. And I can tell you how Jesus knit that baby together in your womb. And I can show you what the word says. And I can, I can make a point with this. I just don't know if that would be the best way to really reach her in the name of Jesus. See, God help us if our agenda as Christians is to make a point rather than love the way Jesus wants us to love. God help us. Okay? How about we love people where they're at? Is there hope? That's what, is there hope? Yeah, ma'am. There's hope for you. There's tremendous hope for you. And for you too. See, I'll tell I'll just say it. I don't care. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, the grace of Jesus Christ is enough. It is enough. Say it's enough. It's enough. It is enough. I could have, I'll make a point. I'll show you the series you asked for it coming up at the end of the month. I'm excited and scared all at the same time. I've seen some of the questions. Okay, you guys are crazy, all right? I'm just going to say it. I'm getting nervous. But I'm excited because we're going to address some pretty pretty touchy situations and subjects, but shouldn't we? I mean, gosh, our kids are learning about stuff in the playground. Shouldn't we talk about it? We're struggling with stuff deep in our hearts and our minds that are all messed up, and we're thinking things we shouldn't think. How about we talk about it in the church? 
So you ask for it. In fact, the, the website's live, so don't do it now because you and I are doing a thing right now. But after the service, you go to the website and go to meadows.church and click on that green button called you ask for it. You can ask questions and tell your friends. They can ask them too. There's a table right out there. We set up a table right out there with, with colored note cards. You can ask questions there. Put them in the box. I, I, I'm excited about it because I just want to be real. God has so much to say. But the reason we're doing you ask for it, you know why? It isn't to make a point. I want to show you what the Word of God says. I will, I will we'll look at the Word of God. I love the Word of God. But I want it to make a difference in your life. I want it to help you, and I want you to help others. This is what matters to God. I want it to matter to us. Is there hope, ma'am? Yes, there is tremendous hope. You maybe heard the statement, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. There's so much truth to that. I can show you what I know in Scripture. I could quote Bible verses to you, and I can show you just how smart I really am when it comes to God's Word. Who cares? If you don't love me, if you don't really understand that I'm a person, even though you may not like me, but I'm a person that God made in His image, and He cares about me, does it really matter? And the Bible says, saying to somebody, the Bible says, the Bible says, that really doesn't work anymore to start a conversation. It doesn't, okay? Again, I love the Word of God. I'll preach it every weekend. I believe it's 100% true. I believe it's inerrant. It's changed my life reading it. I don't, I don't go there right away with people. I, I normally don't. The Bible says this. The Bible says this. Listen to me. If we're, if, remember the audience? Remember, remember who we're approaching? These people, they're post-Christian, okay? Most of them. So they're probably familiar with some of the Bible, but they've already kind of discounted it. I'll give you more stats. Um... I was going to make it up, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to read it. So eight years ago, 10% of Americans qualified as skepticals, skeptics when it comes to the Bible. Eight years ago, so 10% said, eh, I don't know. You know what's happening in eight years? It's more than doubled. So today, 22% of people in America, Americans now, would say the Bible, it is not, you know what, you call it the word of God, that's cool for you. I don't believe it's God's word. I don't believe it's divine. I'm just showing you what's happening. You need to know your audience before you start just shoving Bible verses down someone's throat. Do you know what I'm saying? I love God's word. I'll say it. I'll say it. I'll say it till the day God calls me home. But, I, okay, let me put it a different way. If a Muslim person came up to you and they said, listen, here's the Quran. The Quran is like their word of God, right? Here's the Quran. You need to, you need to know this. This is what it says. You're asking questions. This has answers. You don't care. You don't care. Like Okay, that's, that's your belief. That's your Quran. That's your Bible, per se. And whether you know what the Quran says or not doesn't really matter to you. Do you know why? Because you don't see it as authoritative. And if you don't see it as authoritative, it doesn't really matter what they're saying. Does that make sense? So the Bible, same way. If, if, if a person isn't on board with it, you can't. God can convict them. God can show them. But... You know, I wouldn't start there is what I'm saying. The Bible says this. The Bible says that. So where does that leave us in the message? Let's go back to the beginning. Why do we have hope? If someone were to ask you, why do you have hope? Well, let's go back to Saul for a second. Saul, let's, let's, let's do a quick role play. If, if Saul was approached by an atheist, and an atheist said to Saul... What's the deal? Like, why are you believing this now? Like, why are you different? Why, why, the, why, why God's word now? Why, why, are you, why are you now a follower of the way when before you were persecuting? I don't, I can just play it out like how it might go. 
Saul might say something like to the atheist person, he might say, I get what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Listen to me. I was the guy that was killing him. I, it, I was the head of it. But something happened, sir. You even know the story. Something happened on my way to that city, that Damascus, that city I went to. I was literally blinded. Literally, I was blind. And, and, and a voice like said to me, Saul, Saul. And I'll be straight up with you. I, I, in my heart, I knew who it was. I did. But I asked the question anyway. I was like, who are you? And he said it. He said, Jesus. I know, yeah, yeah, the Jesus that you believe is dead right now. The Jesus that was crucified not that long ago. That Jesus. He said it to me. I, I don't get it. So, I'll make, sir, I'll make a long story short. God commissioned me to, to reach people in his name. Like, he called me to, like, plant the very thing I was going to kill. Churches. And, and, sir, you can't even debate that. I mean, I get that you're skeptical. I get that you're not a believer. But you have to believe in what I'm telling you that I did. Because that's not only in God's word, but that's history books. Churches were planted on the Mediterranean rim by a man named Saul and, and, and other people that followed this, this Jesus. That's a fact. I mean, you can't. So he's telling you, you can't. Every modern world vision would say that that happened so you can't really dispute the what sir so let me guess well, uh, my guess is what you're disputing is is the why you're probably disputing the why and the atheist might say yes Saul I am why how does a how do you a Christian killing Pharisee do a complete 180 and the very church you set out to eradicate is the church that you now build Why? Why? And, and, and my guess is Saul would, could only have one answer. Jesus, I don't understand. I know, again, I know you think he's dead. I know you think he's still in the grave. He's not. Like, he talked to me. Listen to me. He not only talked to me, he changed my life. I was so lost in doing what I was doing. He found Jesus, found me. I was, I was blind. I told you that. It was the Jesus that gave me sight. I'm looking at you right now. I can see you. I couldn't see. I was a dead man. Today, I live. It was Jesus. And I'm here to tell somebody in this place, if Jesus can do it in a man like Saul, what do you think he wants to do in your life? Oh! You might think I'm hopeless. Saul was hopeless. Saul was hopeless. Sometimes you have to get the end of your hope before Jesus, Jesus can start to resurrect you up to where he wants you to be. I love that. How do we share? We, we, we're not going to make a point. We're going to make a difference. Okay, pastors, just spell it out for me. How do I make a difference? Okay, here. When you have an opportunity, and you will, rather than maybe going straight to Scripture, though you can, if the, it just know your audience. That's all I'm saying. What does Saul do? Share the difference that Jesus has made in your life. That'll make a difference in someone else's life. Maybe not immediately. Do you know how many people I talk to? They come here without their spouse. I'm so proud of them. Their spouse ain't a church person. You know what I tell them? Just keep coming. You keep, you, you, you keep leading yourself, and you keep loving your spouse, And you share the difference that that church is making in your life and that Jesus is making in your life. You share that difference. You just share it. 
you just share it. It's in, that's what's infectious. You, you want to make a difference? Share the difference Jesus has made in you. That will make a difference. Oh my gosh. So talk about God's timing. You know, most of you know by now, and if you don't, like our trailer and all of our church stuff, stolen just over a month ago. It seems like longer, but it was just over a month ago. So after we're done here, we pack everything up and it goes in a trailer, so it's stolen. And they took out all the expensive, you know, really expensive stuff that we thought would make some money, and the rest they just burnt up along with the trailer. So after, I mean, I, I kid you not, the day after that happened, I mean, it took me a day to process what the heck really happened. I mean, it, it kind of blindsided you for a second. We immediately as a church started to pray. You know, we, pray, we, we weren't praying for stuff. Oh, bring our stuff and stuff. I could care less. We'll get more. That don't matter. We started praying for the people that stole our trailer. We did. You might have saw the post we put out. I said, I said, a, I said a line. I said, people, desperate people do desperate things. The reason I say that is because I've been that. Man, have you been desperate? You ever done something really dumb because you're desperate? <laughs> yes. Two weeks ago, we get a call that some of our equipment's been found. A guy had it, and he was trying to sell it and get money. So we figure out what happened, and the cop calls me and says, hey, yeah, we got, we got the guy. He ain't talking, he ain't cooperating, we're gonna arrest him, and you can come ID some of this stuff that he does have, and you come get it. And I said, and, and, and it was a really short conversation, but at the end I said, I said, can I get his name? And he paused for a second. He said, yeah. He gave me his name. And I didn't recognize the name. And he said, he said he's a habitual. We've seen him before. And I said, where is he going? And he told me the facility, the jail. And I knew. And I'd love to tell you right away I responded. I didn't. It took me some days to pray. God's still working on me too. So eventually I got the courage to sit down and set up a, a visit and honestly, what are the chances? I'm going to set up some visit. You do it online. You do a video. And you set it up. And, and they, have to, they have to show up. I mean, you can't force them. This guy don't know who I am. Could care less. So we pray. And I set up a visit. And uh, set up for Friday. And, I sit, and the guy, cop, comes on beforehand. I said, I said, how do I know this guy's even going to show up? And he said, we'll, we'll tell him he has a visitor. And if he does, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. You know. Part of me was hoping. He, I mean, I'll be honest. Part of me was like, Hopefully he doesn't show. <laughs> you know, get out of it. <laughs> you know, it's like I did my part. It's terrible. That's terrible. I shouldn't even tell you these things. Pray for me. So, but I, that's where I, I was like, because I didn't know what I was gonna say if he did show up and sit down. Like, I, it's not like I had some script. I don't know. I don't. I had no clue. Nothing. I was just sitting there looking at a, a cinder block wall with a chair, and all of a sudden a shadow falls over the cinder block wall, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And this, this gentleman sits down, big dude, tattoos. I'm kind of glad it was video, not in person. I was kind of freaked out. I was like, thank God. So, big guy. He grabs the phone, yeah? And I was like, oh my God. So I just started, I said, hey, thanks for taking the, thanks for visiting with me. I said, my name's Monty, I'm with Meadows Church. Uh, I said, our trailer was you know, taken a while back. And, um, and he's like looking at me like, what are you talking, like, I, I, I thought, are you playing dumb or don't you know? Like, he's like looking at me like, what are you talking about? And then I said, I said, you were, yeah, I guess you were the guy that was, you know, you had the stuff and you were selling it. And his head kind of got lower. And I said, I want to know what we can do to help. And I'll tell you something. 
I've never seen a man like that break down like that. And he started, he's sobbing on the phone, sobbing. Like that's all I've said is I want to know how we can help. And, and, and he, in over, 20, over a 25 minute call, he unpacks for me his kids and his wife who she's ready to. And you know what he told me? He said, I've never committed a crime sober. It's always been when I'm high. I wonder why God had me make the call. If you don't know him, drug addict was. He, is, he, he can't even compose himself. I said, listen to me. I need you to know that there's hope for you. And the more that I speak like that, the more he's just sobbing. And I said, we'll do whatever we can. I said, we'll do whatever we can. I said, I will, I, I, I'm not kidding you. You give me your wife's name, I'll call her, I'll text her, I'll do whatever I can. Give me your lawyer's name, I'll call him until I talk to you. Give me the judge's name. I said, you give me enough time, I'll get a team together, we'll bust you out of that place. I'm just kidding, we didn't, I didn't. <laughs> but that's how I'm thinking, I'm getting kind of excited, you know? I just told him, I said, I'll do whatever it takes. I said, and he's looking at me, and I said, I've been there. I've been where you are. And he, go, and he goes, you know what, he, I said something about darkness or just hopelessness or avoid, a death, a, avoiding you. He, and he's sobbing. I mean, this huge guy, sobbing. And he says, that's, he goes, that's me. That's me. He can't even talk. And I told him, I told him, here's what I told him. I said, I tried hundreds of times to get out of the, of the hole that I was in. But I, I, had to, I had to be honest. I said, until I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And it still was hard. It still was a just gut-wrenching. But there was no hope without him. I said, I need to ask you something right now. I said, do you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? And he can't even speak. You know what he did? Just, he's not even looking at me. I shut, just, he is drenched. And, 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 and I, I closed my eyes and I prayed over him. And in that moment, in that little cinder block room he was in and where I was, in that moment, that gentleman gave his life to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you. So we get done. We're talking. We get cut off because at 25 minutes is up. It just cut you off. So I'm setting up another one this week. I get off the phone. I call his lawyer. I'm like, I want to roll. I call a lawyer now. Like, I call his lawyer. And I said, I said, you don't know me. My name is Monty. And and lawyers again. Who the heck are you? So, so Ava, my daughter's in there playing her piano, doing being a sweet little girl, doing her piano lesson, and she stops because I'm on speakerphone, and and I said, yeah, and I just talked to so and so, and I think I even said he gave his life to Christ. I'm just telling everybody I'm so excited, ready to call the Omaha Herald. You know, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm jacked up. And I said, and the lawyer's like, and the lawyer goes, and I'm talking, and I get this whole spiel. You know, you give a pastor time to speak, he won't shut up. So I'm going, and uh, <laughs> you're like. Um, he goes, wait. This is the first words he said. He hasn't spoken yet. He goes, wait. You're the victim? And I stopped and I'm like, I thought about it for a second. I guess, well, yeah, I guess he, I didn't think about that. I, he had our stuff. He was selling our stuff. Yeah, I guess I'm the victim. He goes, I've been doing this for 39 years. He goes, this is only the second time in 39 years that anybody has ever called 
to try to help the person that got arrested and help them get rehabilitated. And I heard that. And then he kept saying to me, uh, he goes, I admire, I admire what you're doing. I admire what you're doing. I admire what, he kept saying that. And I thought to myself, it isn't, first of all, it ain't me. This is God, trust me. This isn't me. And secondly, I'm thinking to myself, isn't this what we're preaching about? Isn't this what the church is supposed to do? And it was God. Again, I don't take any credit for what God did. That was all God. But isn't that what made the first church so attractive? Isn't it? It wasn't that there were some religious organization. No, it's because they like literally welcomed all comers. Everybody. Not only that, but they would love them right where they're at. And then they wouldn't stop there. Then they pointed them to a man named Jesus who turned their life upside down and made it brand new. I'm telling somebody, if God does that there, I was, I was born, that was the first church. See, when you find a church like that, when you find a church doing those things, I believe with all my heart, you're not going to look for a way to get out of it. You will do whatever you can to run to it because you know that life is there. Hope is there. Jesus is there. That's what you know. Oh. God's writing a story. Don't make a point with people. Make a difference. Make that difference by sharing the difference Jesus has made in you. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're like the gentleman on the other side of that phone and you're at a place where you're hurting and you're, you're desperate. I shared with him the gospel. I shared with him and I asked him questions. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the son of God? Couldn't even, couldn't even audibly respond, but I counted it. I'm like, he's nodding. He gets it. And yes, another one for the kingdom. If you can believe that, if you can believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead, you can be saved. Just like he was saved that day, literally saved. He's still got a road. It's still going to be hard. But guess what? He's got a church that's known him all of 25 minutes, and we're going to walk with him every step of the way. And we're going to do whatever we can to get that guy help and hope. I told him, I'll talk to the judge. I'll talk to your lawyer. I ain't going to stop. I'll do whatever. We'll do whatever we can. What is your next step to step into what Jesus has for you? I told him my story is real simple. I messed up. Maybe you have too. You know what? I messed up. This is so simple. I messed up. I gave up. I looked up and God showed up. Somebody needs that. Somebody, you need God to show up in your life in a supernatural way. We want to pray with you. You need God to do something in your life. We want to walk with you. We want to love you. Don't you leave here until we get to love you, until we get to pray with you, until we get to walk with you, until we get to point you in a direction that is towards your purpose and towards the hope that Jesus has for you. He loves you. He, there's hope for you. Because of Jesus, we have hope. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to sing, and we're going to worship. And we're going to pray, and we're going to love each other, and we're going to keep giving God glory because he deserves it. Father, in the name of your son Jesus, I cannot start even praying without thanking you for all that you're doing in the lives of your people. There are new people here today that have never been here before. You're working on them right now. You're showing them hope and life and light. God, may they respond however you want them to. For people that have come back, maybe they've been coming for literally two years, 
but they've been wondering or waiting about a next step and today is that day they take the next step, whatever it takes. I thank you for, for our friend who's in a jail cell as I pray this prayer. He might be physically locked up, but spiritually he's set free. And that excites me and that excites us. Give us the opportunity to love him and his family. And for others that need love in this place today, this is home. We do life together. Father, have your way in this place. I pray that as we leave here, we'll know that we're going to be, <laughs> we might not feel like we're agents for you because we're about as messed up as they get, but you want to use us right where they're at. And if you can use Saul, a, a, a murderer, I'm pretty sure there's hope for, for us. God, will you use us today? As we talk to people, maybe it's people that we live with, people that we're the parent of, people in our neighborhoods or our schools, we're going to have an opportunity to share hope. I pray that we know where it's coming from. It's you. I pray that we know that making a point really isn't going to make a point. In fact, what that normally does is repel people. What we want to do is make a difference. How can we do that, God? I know it starts, yeah, well, it starts and ends with love. Help us love like you love, God. We love you. We thank you. We believe in you. And we'll never stop declaring, Father, that in you the best is truly yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody says, amen.